Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. The Danny Mac Show with BK Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac with BK. Lifted in the air into deep left center. Bader back at the wall. He's got it. Oh, and a catch. Harrison Bader. He robbed him. Round ball left side. Arnado to the plate. The 10. Got him. He got him. Oh, my. And it stays 1-0 on a terrific play by Nolan Arnado. Carlson a drive. Emotions of that game last night. Welcome in. It's the uh, Danny Mac show on a Thursday and with BK. I'm Dan McLaughlin. It'll be uh, the Hall of Famer, one of the great closers in baseball, spent time with both obviously Chicago and St. Louis. Lee Smith is coming up and looking forward to hearing from Lee Smith. The Cardinals win it three to two. The emotions. Five batters hit. Arenado's defense. Bader's three hits. Yachty comes through. Bader's catch. It went back and forth. It was just a, a fun night to be at the ballpark, and the crowd has been into it. The crowds have been great on both sides of the rivalry, so looking forward to tonight. Fun game last night. It's funny, Dan. We mentioned it after the game on Tuesday night. If that had gone the other direction, mm. the we would be talking so much about the good stuff that happened in that game for the Cardinals because they played really well for eight innings. Unfortunately, that ninth inning took place and that kind of washed away all of the good that had happened for the three previous hours. I felt like it was going to happen again last night. So you got to be kidding. They played a fantastic baseball game for out of the 10 innings, probably eight of them. They played really well for the vast majority of that game. As you said, defensively and Nolan Arenado with two great plays. Harrison Bader saving the game early on with that uh, home run that he was able to grab at the wall. You had some really nice at-bats in that game from start to finish. I thought Carlson was great in that one. I mean, it's just start to finish. You had a hell of a lot of opportunities for guys to be able to come through. And I thought it was going to go the exact same way as it did the the night before. And I was worried as hell when they started uh, hitting all those batters in the ninth. Yeah, and the thing was, too, when you got to that point, and for fans that maybe uh, couldn't stay up late, and, you know, you're saying, ah, the heck with it. The Cardinals had the Cubs down to their final strike. Gallegos is kind of running on fumes here, and he hits Nico Horner. So two strikes, he hits him down to their final strike in the game, and then Sogard off the bench, his 10th pinch hit for the Cubs this year. He's been a good pickup for them in that regard, and that would score Nico Horner. The inning continues with John Gant then hitting two batters in a row to bring up Rizzo, who hit a bullet at Tommy Edmond. Edmond bobbled it, but it was hit so hard and playing in shallow right with the shift was still able to make the play. 
Then you look ahead, and the Cardinals in the ninth inning get a leadoff base hit from Tommy Edmond. He's left stranded. Cardinals had two runners on in that inning. Then you look ahead to the 10th, and the key play in the game that's not talked about enough was the Cubs had runners at first and third. The runner at third is Anthony Rizzo, and he did not run on a ground ball that was hit to short. It was almost as if the Cardinals and Sosa were conceding the run because it was first and third and nobody out, and you're going to start the next inning with a man at second. So get the outs, get out of the, uh, the inning, and lessen the damage as much as you can. And all of a sudden, Rizzo doesn't run, and I'll tell you what, Sosa makes a really good play. Fields it, kind of took a glance at Rizzo, and in that glance, it shouldn't have even been a factor. I mean, Rizzo needs to be off with that once it's hit. And afterwards, he said, that was my fault. That's my mistake. And Sosa steps on the bag and immediately throws to the plate, which is a smart play to get Rizzo in the rundown. And that is your game right there. That was a key. Yeah, that one, the uh, Nolan Arenado, a couple of plays, Harrison Bader. I mean, defensively, the Cardinals won that game with defense in a lot of ways last night. And that that is absolutely the one that stands out the most to me, Dan. Edmundo Sosa has been a heck of a player for this team this year. And last night was the perfect example of why he went into the post game uh, press conference after the game. He was asked about, you know, what goes into a play like that? How do you make that? Is that something you work on? Is there take us through mentally what you're doing? And he walked us through the entire thing. He said it started before that play ever took place. Sure. Like, listen, you know, I I know exactly what the situation is. I'm making sure to run through a million different simulations as to what could happen next. And I knew that was one of the possibilities. And so he knew mentally what to do. He got himself in the right situation physically. And then he was able to take advantage of what was clearly a base running mistake. But a lot of guys don't make take advantage of that if they're in the situation that Sosa was in. So huge play by him for sure. So the uh, the game was entertaining, generally speaking, because it's Cubs and Cardinals and teams going back and forth. And then what happened in game two with the Cubs coming back. But then you had, and I was really looking forward to this. I had been making that point of watching a couple of guys that average so I'm not talking about their fastball average, but their their average, you know, flipping up a 68-mile-an-hour curveball and an 88-mile-an-hour fastball. Two guys in Wainwright and Hendricks that pitch. And we saw that on display last night. Uh, you didn't see walks, yep. and you saw strikes. Wainwright, his strike percentage overall was 74%. Hendricks was 70%. And what do you get? You don't get overpowering guys. You'll get strikeouts here and there, but you get the ball in play. So that's okay. I don't need to see home runs every single time. But I had some activity. I had some action. I had good defense. That's what I like. And that's what made the the game, uh, to your point, like the first half of the game, if you want to say it, to the eighth inning or whatever it was, really fun to watch. And a lot of strategy going into it. And then you had the ninth inning where it got crazy again. So it was just kind of a, a fun game at the ballpark. And both, I'm telling you, man, I don't know if it's coming across on the TV, but the the crowd on both sides, and there's a lot of blue in the seats. It is loud. It's really been loud in the start of the second half, and we we're close to 40,000 last night. My understanding is we'll probably be over 40,000 tonight. Can't wait. It's been awesome to watch, and to your point on the pitching last night, zero combined walks, zero for the two starting pitchers last yeah. night. Huge. That That is, it totally changes the way that you view the game. It is just so much more aesthetically pleasing as a viewer to be able to watch a game like that. I would also add this, Dan, one of the reasons why the Cardinals won that game is because they played crisp baseball and the Cubs did not. 
the Cubs, when you look at what they did base running wise last night, they cost themselves multiple runs because of dumb mistakes on the base paths. The Cardinals just don't really do that very often. That is something that they've been pretty good at for the most part this season. Defensively, they made many plays last night that could have been considered like gold glove caliber plays. And that's how you win a game like that, where your starting pitching was excellent, but your bullpen did struggle a little bit there at the end. Being able to pick them up when they needed it most is the way that you come out on top. So Mike Shields first year was 19, I believe. And right, 19. Mm -hmm. Yeah, took over halfway in 18. And one of the things that he said was, we have to be a better base running team and we have to be better defensively, fundamentally better. Now, they have not been good in throwing strikes, clearly. A lot of walks, a lot of hit batters. That's been well documented. But when the ball is in play, the Cardinals are fairly good. And I went back and looked at at, uh, what happened since Schild had his first full year. So the most outs above average since the start of 2019 the Cardinals are second in baseball with 51. And that's and, a stat cast defensive yes, metric. And that tells you, though, you know what? Throw strikes, put the ball in play as much as you can. Yep. It, it, you know, it's you, why Wade LeBlanc is having success in well, St. Louis. Hey, you got Yadier Molina, nine time gold glover. Goldie's won three. He's been awesome in this homestand defensively and at the plate. DeYoung was a finalist. Arenado's won eight. O'Neal gold glove winner last year, even though he's got seven airs. Bader may win a gold glove this year. That play he made My goodness, was man. awesome. So the point being, you throw strikes and you get a chance, you know, put the ball in play and see what happens. Harrison Bader, can we talk about him yeah, for a second? Yeah. My goodness, man, is this guy coming through in a big way? I mean, he's batting 360 now in his time, or 350 rather, in his time since coming back from the injured list. His defensive prowess is on full display. You can see, you you mentioned it whenever he came back. He just clean, he, he settles things down out there. Everything that is going anywhere near center field, he's going to get it. So he makes the job a lot easier for Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson. He allows them to settle down a little bit in the corners. And what he's doing right now offensively, I know somebody on the text line brought up him going for two. Shouldn't have done it. Should have, in that spot, just take the, he's aggressive. I don't want to get rid of that mentality for him. That is how he plays, and I want him to play that way a little Absolutely. bit. So I, I was fine with it, even though I understand that in that spot, yeah, you probably just stand at first. You got the pitcher spot coming up next. He'll bunch you over with no outs. I get it. But I like the aggressiveness from him, and he this team And you don't want to that. take that away from him either. And they need that. This yeah. team needs a player like Harrison Bader who's bringing that energy on a night-in, night-out basis. He goes three for four last night. The home run robbing catch of Contreras and the second batter of the game, which would have, if it goes over the wall, you're down 2 nothing with Hendricks on the mound. You're facing Hendricks. Two runs might be enough. Yep. It almost was. So they were able to get to him and then obviously had the big double in the seventh that tied it up, then scored the, at that time, go-ahead run. So, yeah, he's making things happen. You may you watch every pitch of every game, basically, Dan. Um, not only of the Cardinals, but I think of all of Major League Baseball. I could be wrong there, but I'm pretty sure you get pretty much every pitch in in some way. Yeah. Is this as locked in as you've seen Harrison Bader at the plate oh, yeah. in his career? Yeah. I, the, the adjustment he's making now with two strikes, and it's not to say he's not going to chase uh, the slider, uh, but the fact that he's willing to go the other way, and I'd say the same thing with Tyler O'Neill. He has made that adjustment and made a great adjustment on a breaking ball, one of the best at, at you know getting it up in the air and hitting a home run. But back to Bader, yeah, this is locked in as I've seen him, and it's a difference maker. Because you know the defense is going to be there. Just a matter of can he be consistent 
offensively, and he's doing that. I think one thing that really stands out to me about this series for the Cardinals is it's Bader, it's Edmund is starting to look a little better at the plate of late. In the last three games, at least seven of your eight starting position players have reached base safely in every game. Yeah. At least seven of the eight. That is something that we've been missing from this Cardinals team throughout the season. They've been able to get two or three guys going at any given time, but it hasn't been the whole lineup ever. And it hasn't really been four or five guys at any point in time for them to be able to get contributions from the top to the bottom. That's a game changer. And that's what we envisioned coming into this season. They were never going to be a team that one through five was just dominant. But if you can get solid contributions from top to bottom, that's how this team's going to win. Al's alive for the Cubs tonight and for the Cardinals. It's Kim. If you have a ticket reminder, it's earlier start 615 at the ballpark and uh, Bally Sports will have you covered at 5.30. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Ah, with the Cubs in town, it's the perfect time to visit with a Hall of Famer and a guy that uh, spent a lot of time wearing that Chicago Cubs uniform and the St. Louis Cardinals uniform. One of our all-time favorites. Matter of fact, he'll be in St. Louis, I believe, later this summer for a signing and an appearance at Bush Stadium. And that is the great right-hander Lee Smith. Hey, good morning, Lee. How are you doing? I am doing fine, man, with, with uh, things have been going on board, if you can believe that. How can you be bored? You're always working. Well, that's what I'm outside. I'm, I'm outside waiting for the grass to grow so I can do the lawn. <laughs> hey, Lee, when I say we're having Hall of Famer Lee Smith join us, is it is it sunk in yet, the HOF that you get to sign by your name? Finally, finally it had, man. But, you know, when you, when you just think about what, when I got on that bus in – in Cooperstown, that was when it really sunk in. When I got on there with the Hank Aarons and all those guys, man, I was like, man, I came from a town that don't have red light. And I, I got goosebumps just looking at all these guys, man. And it started to sink in a little bit, but you know something? It still puzzles me sometimes to think about, okay, do, do, do you put, like, other stats before the Hall of Fame or the Hall of Fame is the first stat? It's it taken a while to get there, but... Thank God it's been there. It's been really great. A good ride. Lee, are there any conversations you've been able to have with players that you looked up to as a kid or during your time in the major leagues that have really stood out to you? Are there, are there people that you've been able to talk to since then that have stood out? Well, you know, one of the prime guys that helped me out so much in getting fast for this and gave me some ideas of what to do and what to look forward to was the great Johnny Bench. And and I always look up to him when we played, you know, we play I got a chance to play against him a little bit, you know, and, and things like that. But just the advice that he gave me, you know, what to expect, that was the best thing. Actually he did it a lot of that, you know, when we was in uh, Cooperstown, you know, getting prepared for the speech and, and you know, all the fun things that you do around that and all the you know, all with baseball and sports in general, all the guys have the jokes, you know, they they they, they uh, uh do with the rookies and things like that. He gave me a lot of advice, man. But in the long run, it was just, you know, what to expect. And that was the one thing. I was nervous, if you can believe it. Uh, I, I can <laughs> believe it. Hey, Lee, are you, uh, and Lee Smith is our, our guest, the great uh, Hall of Famer. Are you uh, going to, to participate in Cooperstown this year? Are you going to go see Jeter and Larry Walker and the others that uh, finally get their due and Ted Simmons? 
Man, I tell you what, I think if I did, my little lady would kill me. (laughs) 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 Hey, but you know the crazy thing about that? Uh, I have a identical twin sister that's 50. Uh, and man, they got more publicity. Everybody asking about them more than doing me coming back. You know, hey, the twins coming back, and they was all over the place, man. They 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 had so much fun running around with Goose Gossage and all the guys. But oh, any chance that I can get an opportunity, you you would have to be out of your mind not want to go back to that. No doubt. You no, know, but the, the situation was going to happen with, with Jeter and things like that. All those guys have to wait. I don't understand how to do it, man, because. It was tough just waiting, and that wasn't, you know, the pandemic and all that, you know, getting postponed and things like that, and you have to restart all this. I tell you what, man, I actually was somewhat relieved. To like, I'm going to get a chance to go back and have fun, so that's what I'm looking forward to. But before, it was, it was like unbelievable pressure getting trying to prepare for the speech and stuff. Lee, I'm curious, what was the advice that you got from, from some of the Hall of Famers? Are there anything in particular that you can share with us? Well, you know what? The, the one thing where Johnny Vince told me the guys look out for to steal your speech before 10 minutes before you get up there. <laughs> mm-hmm. He told me to uh, keep an eye out for Wade Boggs, guys like that, and Greg Maddox, one of the guys that you would think wouldn't do something like that. You know, you know, getting your speech thing like that, it was all in fun, but it was that pressure of having to be on your toes like every minute, every day, every function, and it was fulfilled every day from like when you got up to the end. But you know what? The people that worked there in Cooperstown, uh, uh, Miss Clark and all those, man, they actually, actually helped so much in preparing you for that, you know, way before you even got there. And the thing, I think the best thing, advice that I got was from like guys like Fergie and Johnny and all those. They actually tell you that, hey, you got to come back before all this thing go down and sort of get a chance to rehearse and think like that. So that was really the, the key thing uh, uh, with that special occasion. But Lee Smith is our guest, and he held the all-time saves record for 13 seasons. Then it was broken by uh, Trevor Hoffman. You were 71-92. and ERA was just over three. Over 1,000 games pitched, which is something that needs to be talked about. 802 games finished. It's a remarkable run. So not only the saves, Lee, but obviously your durability to be able to pitch every day just about and back-to-backs and all those things that go into it. How did your body, your shoulder, your elbow, and your arm, as you look back on it now, is it is it God-given or is it something that you did to make sure that you were able to answer the bell just about every night? Well, you know what? A little bit, you sort of answered that question already, man. You just a... I guess the ability and really the, the uh, I had, I think the best thing that I did was I had a really smooth, like, mechanic. You know, I used all the body. You know, I used the legs, I used the back, you know, and not just put all, a lot of guys now stand straight up and throw all arm, and it's a 100. And I think I, the one thing that I really pride myself on was being a pitcher, not a thrower. You know, so that right there, but, man, you got to give credit to where it's due is upstairs, a good Lord. <laughs> kept a good eye on me for years, man. But with all of the, you know, all of the medical side of things they got going now, man, I, it, it's, it's unbelievable. But I think the guys now just throw so much harder. And and one thing that I uh, I got a lot of advice from guys like uh, I, I just said about Fergie Jenkins and all those guys was, you know, that longevity is going to be from how you take care of yourself, you know, off the field. You know, and I learned at an early age not to keep throwing because, you know, we could, 
as, as relievers would say, man, you can get a, get three dry humps in a game and, and not get a chance uh, and not get a chance to pitch. So back in the day, we could actually warm up and sit on the eighth and ninth inning and not go in the game. So I learned my body and how much to throw and when not to throw. And I think that was a key thing to my, uh, my success. Hey, Lee, you're one of the very few players that can say you were on both sides of the Cubs versus the Cardinals rivalry. What was this experience like for you? It's Cubs cards right now here in St. Louis. What was the experience like for you being on both sides of that rivalry? Man, I think I confused fans because <laughs> everywhere I think I went on the, the caravan and things that the Cardinals do, um, the winter warm-up thing like that, man, I actually went to, I think, every city – as a Cub, I went to every city as a Cardinal. So it was it was really strange. But, you know, the rivalry is, like, all in fun. It's not like the Red Sox-Yankee thing. It's all in fun, bragging rights. The, the wife's a Cardinal fan. The husband is a, you know, the Cub fan. And it's all in, like, bragging rights. But it was mostly fans and the, the family thing. The players, myself, you know what, man? I didn't feel that rivalry against Ozzy. Or guys like that, but I tell you what, I think I bear down on Ozzy more than I did anybody else in the organization or in baseball in general because we went out together. And I didn't want to be sitting at Ozzy's house having dinner and Ozzy hit a double off in game winner. Trust me, that's not a good feeling because he's going to be wearing me out. Plus, I want to be able to be, you know, harass him a little bit, you know. But that robbery thing was just, it was unbelievable from batting practice, man. You know, now, Lee, as you well know, at Wrigley, the bullpens are under the bleachers. But for so many years, you're right there along the foul lines with the fans. Um, what was that experience like, having the bullpens essentially in play and being as close to arm's length with the fans? Well, man, both uh, both fields was like that. You know, even Bush Stadium. Right, you know, that's right. The bullpen was right there also. You know, and I actually, the one thing that I, I, I started doing, not going to the bullpen till like the seventh inning, especially Cardinal Cup games, because there was a lot of guys down there gave me pitching tips before I went in. <laughs> <laughs> and after, after about 10, 12 beers, I don't think they were giving me good advice. <laughs> I love so it. Was, man, it, it was like, a, you know, your buddies, man, the guys would come down and we'd actually talk to them during the game, the fans. We were actually that close. And, 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 the strange thing about this, we at Cubs, when we came to St. Louis, we had more fans. And then when the Cardinals came to Chicago, they had more fans. I'm like, man, you guys are confusing me. You know, but <laughs> it, was, it was weird, man, because it, it, it was, I don't know what happened with that, but I don't know if it's still like that. But I, I think, you know, so many years, the Cardinals had bragging rights because they all usually beat up on the Cubs for years. Then the Cubs got the upper hand and things, you know. So I, uh, it, I think the rivalry got a little more, like I guess, like more tension against it because of I actually think the Cubs uh, had got a little more bragging right in the last probably four or five years. But you can never count a St. Louis Cardinal out, man. I'm telling you, no matter who's on that club, man, it's just something about the manager, whoever takes over, he just find out a way to put things together. Not saying they don't happen in Chicago, but. It's just one of those things, man. Uh, they always, oh, man, the Cardinals are 10 games back. Then you say, what happened, man? They're one game back now. So those things like that, I think, has so much to do with that rivalry, the way that uh, a teams, teams really turn over. 
Hey, Lee, I wanted to ask you about your time here in St. Louis. You were here at a really interesting tenure. It was kind of the the in-between. It was before the Big Mac era. It was after the, the run that they had in the 80s. What was your experience like here in St. Louis in that brief span in the early 90s? Well, you know what, man? We had really we had a good team. We had good players. Uh, we had a good manager. We just, for some reason, man, we couldn't get that extra pitcher, that extra player to put us over the hump to be in that really, really a contender. You know, because man, the Mets at the time had a hell of a ball club. You know, and Montreal Expos had good good ball clubs. So, you know what? We just came in, in an era where, you know, the other teams, I think, as a whole had like position by position better players and things like that. And we had we had things that we were trying to fix. I think the toughest thing was there was probably we had a good bullpen. I think our starting rotation, you know, needed a little help. And then we had some injuries. So that went into to a lot of effect. And we had uh, some so many young players that came up there, like the Todd Zeal came up, which became a good player. Jeffries and all those guys that were changing positions, I think a lot of people didn't didn't understand that because Jeff Frazier was like a second baseman. Then he was playing first base. And then we got Pedro, but we had a good ball club, but it was just, it was just these other ball clubs. I think had position by position. I think uh, uh, better athletes at that time. Well, Lee, we won't hold it uh, against you that you went in with a Cubs hat, even though you're, you're you know, you're talking to St. Louis radio here. So we're not going to hold that against you. I, I, I wouldn't do that to you. And and before long, you'll be in the Cardinals Hall of Fame, as you should. Had some great years. 47 saves, 43 years, or 43 saves, excuse me. Another time, 41 saves in St. Louis. But I do want to ask you, when you saw the Cubs, like, did you ever think that you, in our lifetime, that you would see the Cubs win? And and what did what did it mean to you? Like, what did you think when you saw that actually happen? Hey, I tell you what, man, I, I couldn't go to the game. I don't think my heart could take it. Yeah. <laughs> But, but you know what? When they start putting guys together, you know, uh, the, um, the uh, Baez and Bryant, and, and I actually, one of my favorites that uh, that the Cubbies had, I was actually working for the San Francisco Giants. And I was trying to get the, when we lost uh, Sandoval, I was trying to get them to pick up this kid, uh, Contreras, and uh, Swarber and those guys. But, you know, the Cubbies weren't getting rid of them. You know, and I was like, man, we just did like one or two players away. I was working for the Giants and pulling for the Cubs. You know, and when they put together, you know, Arietta and all those guys sort of find themselves, and I think the leadership from a couple of other starters sort of fall into place. And then when they got healthy, I think that was the key thing. But really the, the face, and I think probably was the glue, if you want to say, which was the Gary Matthews, my era with the Cardinals, but the Cubs was probably Rizzo. You know, those guys having a leader, and then, then you got Hayward in there, you know. So they had leadership then, and I think that helped so much. But, man, I tell you what, it was, it was good to see. And, and um, I know I'm on the, on the, uh, the Cardinal Network, but that, that was something that good to see for the fans. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't just organization. For me, it was for the fans because, man, they've been suffering for a century, man. So, and then, you know, it, you know that, the young man that actually a lot of people don't give a lot of credit did the same thing in Boston before uh, he came to uh, Chicago. You know, so those things that go into, as you know, uh, in baseball, being able to put together guys that can play together and learn how to feed off each other. 
Lee, final thing that I've got for you, and thanks so much for the time today. From what I understand, it sounds like you're going to be in town in September for a Cardinals versus a Dodgers game. What are you looking forward to about being back at Bush Stadium, my friend? Man, I don't know where to start, man. I, I, I'm looking to go. I'm probably to get there to see my old grind crew buddies. I don't, I don't. I think Mr. Charlie passed away. He used to work in the bullpen. I always like at the front day gate. I'm just looking forward to seeing a lot of my old buddies and things like that. But uh, anytime I can get back to the city, I love it. I just don't get back enough. But um, I had a couple of my old teammates from uh, uh, St. Louis there was talking about this bobblehead thing that they're doing. He said it was taking them this long to get uh, uh, enough necks to hold that big head up. <laughs> <laughs> You're unreal. But I'm, I'm just looking forward to it. Hopefully I get a chance to see Danny Cox and, and Ozzy. All those guys will be around, man. I, I love to see it because I have some fun memories, and I have nothing but great memories of St. Louis, not just the Cardinals, but the city itself. It's awesome. Hey, Lee, great to hear your voice. Uh, it's awesome to, to know that you're coming to St. Louis, uh, be a part of a, a few days at Bush Stadium. I know the fans yep. love it, too. And as always, congratulations on the Hall of Fame. And before, uh, you know what, it's going to be probably maybe next year, the year after, you're going to be wearing that red jacket, and uh, we'll get your just due here in St. Louis, even though you went to the Hall of Fame with that Cubs hat. That's okay. We're going to well, let it go. I didn't have a choice, man. I know, I know. Hey, but dude, I tell you what, anytime I can get back to St. Louis, when I get there, trust me, me and my little lady are going to be working that, that network to try to find some more things to get us back into St. Louis because she really loves it there, too. I love it. Thanks, Lee. Appreciate you. All right, man. Thank you, guys. You got it. That's uh, the great Lee Smith. I have the chance to, uh, I've told you this many times, BK and our listeners, to do the fantasy camp. And Lee comes back and does the fantasy camp. And what you just heard right there, so if you pay a certain price point, so you got your campers, yeah, and then they do uh, one day where they say, okay, we're going to go to station to station. And Ozzie Smith goes out at shortstop and puts on a clinic. Who teaches power? Uh, Lance Berkman was last time. I'm going to work with him next time. So it was Lance. <laughs> we'll well, going a little bit. <laughs> he had Lance Berkman and Larry Walker at one station. Then you go down and there's Bruce Suter. Then there's Jason Isringhouse, an all-time saves leader. There's another Hall of Famer, Lee Smith. And you get this individual instruction. It is so much fun. And he is fun. I mean, he's just a barrel of laughs, man. He, it's just, I'm so happy that he finally got into the Hall of Fame where he belongs. It was ridiculous Absolutely. it took that long for him. It was 13 years, 14 years, something like that. Yeah, it was the Veterans Committee, right? Is how he ended up getting in, I believe if so. I'm not mistaken? You know, it's just stupid. Yeah, it, it, some know. of these guys, get they fall between the cracks. I think it's going to be the same thing for Jim Edmonds. It's going to take longer than it should, but he's eventually going to get in because he's a Hall of Famer. Um, and I, I can't wait for him to be back in St. Louis in September. It's the first time that we've been able to have this stuff in almost two years now. So you've been talking about it a lot on the broadcast, and it's great that we're going to be able to have so many events here uh, packed into the second half and see so many of these former Cardinals finally being able to come back to Bush. Hey, I got good news. Uh, Nick Ragone from the Ascension Charity Classic, which is the senior event that's coming to town, uh, just told me that officials of their classic presented by Emerson, they have a founding partner, which is Missouri Division of Tourism. And uh, so Missouri Division of Tourism has joined forces with Centene, and they'll be a co-presenting sponsor of the Ascension Charity Classic, the Legends Luncheon, and that'll take place on July 29th. So that's next week. You got Jack Nicholas coming in, Tom Watson, Ozzy's going to play, uh, Craig Berube. That's a really big deal. And yep. a lot of people have gotten behind 
the Ascension event coming to town. So that's a, a massive get for them. Congratulations. Speaking of Craig Berube and the Blues, we're going to hear from Doug Armstrong, who held a press conference and might be still going on talking about the expansion draft. So we'll get into that. And also just the kind of the state of the team right now. You're going to hear a little bit of that when we come back and then also some more uh, baseballs. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. So the Blues uh, lose done last night in the expansion draft, and it just wrapped up a few moments ago. Doug Armstrong, the general manager of the St. Louis Blues. So Vince Dunn is now with the Seattle Kraken, and part of the conversation with the media just moments ago was about the challenge of what to do with Vladimir Tarasenko. Well, you trade trades are difficult, uh, you know, in the NHL. You don't see many of them, that, quite honestly, anymore, and, and certainly in, in a flat cap system. You know, and and also uh, the structure of contracts. It's it's difficult to to make moves, and this one is no different. Obviously, we're de- we're dealing with a uh, a player that that's coming off of injury too, which certainly you know it, it, it I'm sure it affects the way other teams uh, what what how they view it and what they're willing to uh, risk they're willing to take. And you know, I I, I view Vladdy as a healthy player. Uh, a guy that has scored 30 goals in the past on numerous occasions and a guy that should continue to score. And as I said, I'm going to do, do what's best for the St. Louis Blues at, uh, in making any decisions to, to part ways. So part of those decisions, is there any scenario in, in which he returns to St. Louis? Oh, no, I, I see there's an outlook where, where I envision him putting on the uh, the jersey again. There's there's many players in the NHL that, that have requested trades. Uh, you know, you always try and keep it below below the surface. Uh, but our, our responsibility is to do what's best for the St. Louis Blues. And if it means that that he comes back and, and uh, plays for us, that's that, that's the outlook that it has. But my my responsibility is to the franchise and do what's best for best for Vlad, or best for the Blues and hopefully best for Vladdy. And finally, how can he improve this roster? Yeah, I'm not I'm not as concerned on the next couple of weeks as probably other people are. What I think we need to protect ourselves of against is making a mistake right now. You you get into a situation where you get nervous, and then all of a sudden, uh, you, you you see long term contracts uh, given, and you're 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 a little uncomfortable. And but you do it, and then and then you're wondering what you did. But you just have to understand that it, it has to make sense for the organization today and tomorrow. And uh, whether it's via free agency, whether it's via trades, or whether it's via just giving your young players an opportunity because you don't like what what's available you you have to you have to be honest with yourself and make sure you're doing what's best for the organization not just a splash wise on on the 28th or 29th uh but something that that uh you can live with free agency will open Wednesday. The cap situation would be a lot clearer. Obviously if they move Tarasenko don't know about Schwartz right now available about 17 and a half million. They've got 17 players ready to roll right now on the 23 man roster. Yeah, I heard uh, JR on the expansion draft show last night with Alex and Joey and curbs and he was great. And he, he made what I thought was a really interesting point and something that I hadn't really considered, frankly, prior to hearing this from JR He said it's one thing for the Blues to be able to have the flexibility to wait on something like this because they could. They could wait until you get closer to the season and you could still make your offseason work with the money that they have available right now. 
The problem is, will other teams have that money available when you get closer to the season? The answer is probably no. Now, one way that you could look at this kind of as a retort to what I just said from from Jr. Well, maybe then that's where you get to the hockey trade. You get another team that has a seven-ish million-dollar contract that they're going to send back in return for Vladdy. So then the money works going both ways. That's possible. But if the goal for Army is to get as much cap space relief from Vladimir Tarasenko as possible, well, that's probably going to have to take place over the course of the next six days. So if you're looking for cap space, that needs to happen really quickly. If you're looking for a player in return, well, that might take a little bit longer. That is BK. I'm Danny Mack. He'll have three hours coming up to break it down and hear more from uh, what's going on with the Blues with Doug Armstrong. We'll talk about the Cardinals when we come back. This is the Danny Mack Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Lifted in the air into deep left center. Bader back at the wall. He's got it. Oh, and a catch. Harrison Bader. He robbed him. Bader, left center. Face it. The game is tied. De Young will score. And Bader, three for three, and we're tied at one. Wound up going three for four last night and also what proved to be Early in the game, a game-saving catch took a two-run homer away from Wilson Contreras. I would imagine that Harrison Bader, BK, will be in the lineup once again tonight. He has calmed things down defensively, and he's providing you offense. And as you mentioned, since he came off the IL, hitting about 350, and you look up this season, Harrison Bader's right around 265, 270 on the year. Yeah. Well, you take that. You would. Uh, he's been great for this team. He's exactly what they needed him to be. Like you said, he's batting 350 since his return from the IL. His OPS in that stretch is 945. Now, some of that is a little bit of good fortune when it comes to batted ball luck, but he's also hitting the ball hard. He's going the other way. He's changed up his approach with two strikes. And Dan, what's so interesting to me is early this season, he made that big time adjustment on the breaking balls. And we saw that, especially against right-handed pitching. He was more effective in those at-bats. The problem was it was coming a little bit at the expense of what he was doing against the fastball. Well, last night he had a lot of success once again against fastballs. So I'm interested to see if he's able to kind of lock in on both at the same time. That's something we haven't seen really at any point in his career. And it feels like right now the reason why he's having so much success is because he's trending in that direction. Kwang Hung Kim gets the start tonight. It's his 33rd birthday. He started this season. It was really kind of up and down. Didn't make it through the sixth in any of his first nine starts. Think about that. He wasn't going deep, wasn't efficient, uh, really basically pitching poorly. And then allowed just one earned in five consecutive starts between April 23rd and May 16th. And then these last four starts, he's been awesome. One earned in 24 innings, and he'll go into the ballgame tonight on a scoreless streak of 21 and a third. And that is the longest currently right now in baseball. He's been great for him. He's given them exactly what they've needed, which is length. And as the lefty in that rotation right now, he's a guy that they really need to continue having that kind of success. And Dan, it's as crazy as it was Tuesday night. And that game stunk in every possible way, the way that it finished for the Cardinals. If you're able to get three out of four against the Cubs, you take two out of three against San Francisco. If I would have just told you prior to coming out of the all-star break, hey, the Cardinals are about to win. What would that be? Five Five out of seven in their first two series against the Giants and Cubs. And oh, by the way, they're going to play Cincinnati, who might be missing Nick Castellanos because of a micro fracture in his wrist. And then you take on Cleveland and Minnesota prior to the deadline. 
Yeah, I think all of us would have signed up for that. And you're also, as Jim Hayes has been reporting, um, getting good news on not only Flaherty and not only Michaelis. Those are the big two. But then even a little bit with Jordan Hicks at the tail end of the season, potentially. Uh, Adbert Alzali, the 26-year-old from Venezuela, is going to get the start for the Cubs. He's enjoyed facing the Cardinals three starts, two, four, five ERA. The difference is his road and home splits. They are dramatic when he's pitching at Wrigley Field. Uh, his ERA about three and a half, five and a half on the road. So we'll see how that plays out tonight. I know you Dan, guys. Can I ask yeah. you real quick uh, about the situation with Michaelis and Flaherty? You guys have mentioned a few times, and I know Jim Hayes has done a tremendous job reporting on this story about the possibility of a piggyback. Do I'm you in. like that idea? I do. Yeah, I you know, my thing is, I think tonight is game number 97, 98, whatever it is, um, and you're running out of time. I mean, bef- before you know it, you're going to have, you're at the century mark, you got 62 games. So essentially, you got three months, or two months. If I can get a game out of them and not say, go throw on the side and then have to sit three or four days, why not have that one-two punch and just try to utilize as much as you can to get out of them? Because... You're going to run out of time, and then all of a sudden it's the 2022 season. So I'm okay with it. it you know, desperate times, desperate measures, man. Sometimes you got to do it. I love it. Yeah. I kind of like the idea. The other thing it does is Michaelis basically becomes a bridge in that game to the back end of your bullpen, so you don't have to use a bunch of those other guys that could potentially be there. Gives your bullpen a little bit of a rest on that night. So I guess to kind of advance the story a little bit here, and maybe we're putting the cart before the horse, but welcome to sports radio. Um, Flaherty, Michaelis being one spot in your rotation. Wayno, KK, definitely being the other two. What else do you do there? Who, who are the other two guys that you, do you stick with LeBlanc? I would do, yes. And, uh, you know, Woodford, I, I want to see him again. After what I saw this last week, I like it. Looked like a different guy in the rotation as opposed to what I'm seeing coming out of the bullpen maybe give Oviedo a little bit more time down in triple a for the time breather. being yeah potentially or you know i i'd look at him maybe in my bullpen too that'd be a nice piece yes if but he's got to throw strikes and we've seen sometimes these guys are just not adjusting to these roles to throw strikes but if he throws strikes if i could get that and again i don't have a crystal ball but if i knew i was going to get that yeah he's my guy in the bullpen did you see what libertor did last night by the way fantastic scoreless outing for him he had zero walks in the game which is a huge key to kind of hone in on for a guy that's down in triple a right now i think it was six innings uh scoreless that's the kind of thing you want to see he's now starting to uh, stretch together a few really good outings for himself down in triple a memphis by the way over the next month or so you might see him up in september they've won 11 in a row memphis really yeah i don't think we're going to see libertor this year you don't that's my gut i don't I haven't talked. I, that's Even just, as a bullpen arm in September? I'd be intrigued with it. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I just I, I don't think they're going to do it. it. Coming off the pandemic, coming off shortened season, these guys pitching deep. I don't know. I mean, I'd be intrigued if he's throwing strikes. But, again, you know, it's kind of like the Oviedo thing. You want to be careful and not overexpose these guys. And Oviedo, for all intents and purposes, probably should be developing in the minor leagues. So, <laughs> something to think about. You've been listening to The Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. 
Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.